We are a group of friends bound by our appreciation for liberty and good podcasting. Free-minded thinkers from all walks of life, our values come together with one accord to discuss the common culture and news of the day, along with whatever random crap is going on in our lives. Welcome to the Union of the Unknowns. All right, everybody, welcome to an episode of Union of the Unknowns, where we are joined once again with our special guest and uh, potential somebody who joins us more frequently is Daniel. And you will recall that he was with us with our first review of the, of the FTX situation. So um, before we get into it, I just want to introduce everyone. You have myself, Think, Change, Repeat, or Ashley. And then we have our favorite Brit turned Spaniard, Terry from Canary. Hola. We have our favorite Viking from Georgia, Kiel. Good evening. And America's sweetheart from Georgia, Justin. Howdy, ma'am. And Daniel from Parts Unknown. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for having me on again, guys. Okay, so we're just going to get right into it. And uh, really, Daniel is the person who has studied this situation the most, has the most um, understanding of kind of what has been going on. So the first thing that I want to ask Daniel is if you could just give us a, a quick summary of, I know we covered it before, but just in case someone had not heard our episode before, just a summary of the situation with FTX. Let's start there. All right. Well, FTX was an exchange that was a cryptocurrency exchange that was started three years ago in 20, 2019. And it quickly grew to the fourth biggest exchange by a year later by trading volume. And it was started by this gentleman named Sam Bankman-Fried, which everybody knows his face by now. But he uh, he was a retail trader at a firm, a low-level retail trader at a firm. And then somehow he got a bunch of money together and was able to open his own trading desk, trading firm called Alameda Research, and then uh, a little later opened his own cryptocurrency exchange, a worldwide cryptocurrency exchange. He had a U.S. entity and then a global entity. And they grew to the fourth biggest exchange in the world, and he started donating money to every can't every political campaign you could imagine left and right that's more on the left though from what it seems and he started donating to every charity that you could imagine not every charity obviously not the ones i'd probably be donating to but the big name charities and stuff like that and he was featured by the world economic forum and his exchange was featured at the world economic forum he got loads of uh publicity for being this charitable you know, philanthropist and the biggest name in crypto, the future Bill Gates and all this other stuff. And he paid for huge marketing deals with all kinds of sports teams, Tom Brady and stuff like that. Well, anyways, it turns out that the entire, basically the entire existence of the exchange, they were stealing customers' funds. You deposit your cryptocurrency or Bitcoin or whatever else on their exchange and expect it to have it in your own account on the exchange, but they were transferring that to his second business, the Alameda Research Trading Desk, that was using it to make crazy trades with. Well, with a few different catalysts in the ecosystem, like the Terra Luna collapse back in May, that that happened, and then the uh, the trading firm Three Arrow Capitals that collapsed after, after that because of it, they there was a lot of 
pressure on the exchange, people withdrawing their coins and stuff like that. And everybody was trying to withdraw their coins at once. And they ended up having to stop withdrawals completely for a few days. And that's when people started really looking into their numbers and stuff like that. And turns out that they didn't have any of the money. They, they had $10 billion in liabilities, and they didn't have anywhere near that in Alameda or in FTX. So that's basically what had happened the last time we talked. It was it had collapsed. There was the, the site had gone down. Wallets had started getting drained that were associated with uh, FTX, and nobody knows who was stealing that money because it, lots of people had access to it. It was basically the one of the biggest frauds in history. There was just blatant theft. I don't even know if it's considered fraud. It might just be straight theft because they were depositing money in and just taking it. And so, I'm sorry, I'm trying to keep this concise, but it's such a long story, you know. So uh, it took a few weeks, but the uh, authorities in the Bahamas where he resided and where he based his business out of eventually arrested him three weeks ago now, three or four weeks ago. And then about a week or two ago, he was extradited to the U.S. and is on a whole long list of charges. But he was released on bail. His parents bailed him out, putting their houses up as collateral and bailed him out. And now he's back in California on house arrest awaiting uh, uh, court, which isn't going to be till October, I believe. His trial doesn't start till October. So that's where we're at now, right now with it. And it's had huge effects through the entire crypto ecosystem. Several other trading firms have collapsed. Uh, the crypto uh, blockchain that was most associated with FTX, which was Solana, SBF was a big mouthpiece for it. It's lost like 95% of its value now at this point. And yeah, it's the biggest fraud in history. It looks really bad for crypto and it's got all kinds of yeah stinky connections around it, connections to every aspect of politics and finance you could imagine. And it's very suspicious to say the least. So right. what you're saying is that we need more regulations <laughs> regarding crypto. Exactly. That's exactly what we need. Just one, <laughs> just, you know, about a thousand more regulations and this wouldn't have happened. If, if only Maxine loggers. <laughs> right. Yeah, the regulation angle of it's so stupid because it was theft is what it was, you know, and theft is already illegal, you know? Yeah, but... So, like, there's... Is there... could Is it possible that there was some legal verbiage in the agreement that the depositors were signing that said something like we ultimately have control of the funds that you're giving us or something like along those lines is there a way for well that weasel out of it that way well some of it was written like that because there are two different some of it was written like that and some of it was not because there are two different uh Basically, if you're earning deposit to earn interest on it or to trade futures or mar uh, trade with leverage or something like that, you are giving them control of your funds to do what they will with. And that was in the uh, uh, user agreement. But when you were doing what's called spot trading, where you just buy a Bitcoin with cash or with another crypto, and it's called spot trading, you just buy it or sell it at its price, no leverage or anything like that, then no, it was the exact opposite, that they were hold they were just custodians of it for you and that it was absolutely yours so part of it yeah they will get out of liabilities for but it's kind of a small portion of it as well the majority of it was spot deposits that's the concern and then and you said that funds were just completely drained out of people's accounts like out of the blue yeah well during all well, the it was show it'll still they'll still show if you could still i don't think the app is even up or anything like that now but 
it was still showing that you had the exact amount of money in it you had before, but the the wallets that because basically you don't have your own uh, your own wallet on the blockchain on the exchange. Everybody deposits their coins into the same wallet and they credit your account with it, and then you trade between each other just credit. They just credit one account just like a banquet or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So they had to do it on the blockchain for every transaction. There'd be a fee for it, and it'd make everything more expensive because a blockchain transaction costs a fee. And if you're doing hundreds, a trader doing hundreds of transactions a day is not really best to do it on a blockchain or whatever so no they're put into these different wallets and they're called cold wallets which means they're not supposed to be connected to the internet except when they're moving funds in or out and those cold wallets for different coins uh were started getting drained like the days wow. after it happened and some and then it was happening again just a few days ago some other wallets had some money moving around it oh the day he got released the day fbf got released on bond from bail he uh they a bunch of money moved out of a wallet like 200 million dollars or something she claims it so wasn't it's still, him it's, it's still happening no, they didn't sort of like you'd think they would have put somehow put a freeze oh, on like lock it down yeah 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 well you, you can't well they haven't even identified all the wallets or all the bank accounts associated with it the guy the uh, i forget his name the, the guy who's liquidate uh going over liquidation of ftx the guy who did enrons he's the new ceo of FTX right now to deal with the bankruptcy. He they he's said that they that have really not even begun. <laughs> you know, right. But they have not even begun to identify all the crypto wallets and all the bank, just regular bank accounts associated with it. So they don't even know where all the money's at. And they don't know who has access to, you know, the different uh wallets and stuff like that. So you don't if you don't even know someone has access to it or if you think you're the only one that has access to it and it's safe in there, then all of a sudden it's getting drained out. There's, it's, I mean, it's a blockchain wallet, so you can't really stop it from happening. You can log in and change the passwords, basically, yeah. if you see it happening quick enough. But if you're not like looking at the wallet, then you're not going to know it's getting drained. You won't see it till afterwards. And new wallets are getting identified every... There's some people on Twitter claiming they found a few wallets with hundreds of millions of dollars in each of them. Ethereum wallets with Ethereum and other Ethereum tokens which I haven't gone and verified that. It'd be a lot of work to verify that, but that's what they're claiming on Twitter now. And yeah, so they're still finding money all over the place and losing money all over the place too. So there's not Daniel, a fraction you... of it there. I don't... Sorry, uh, uh, sorry, I'll let you finish. Oh, no, go ahead. Well, you, it was interesting you mentioned a bank because could they make the argument that, because basically they're just doing what a bank does, isn't it? Aren't they? You know, uh, you can't, if everyone went to a bank and tried to withdraw their money, they wouldn't, the money isn't there, it's somewhere else. And the bank, you know, I'm not saying it's it's right, but that's that's what happens all the time. You know, it's, and the, their leverage can be up to like, you know, I don't know, 10, 100 times these, time, these days. Fractional reserve so banking. Yeah, yeah. I'm not even sure there's yeah, any that... limit now. I think that they've changed the regulations on that. I think they can be leveraged as much as they want. So, could they make the same argument and say, well, we, you know, we didn't guarantee that it was going well, to be there all the time? Well, a bank, how they inherently work is you give them your money and they loan it out to other people. So you're knowing that on the when you're joining the bank, you know that your money's not, they're just not locking it in a safe in the back. They're using that to loan out to people for mortgages to make interest off of it. So when you're depositing in an exchange or it's the same with a broker like a stock broker or a currency broker, when you deposit it in them, you're making no such agreement. You're not, you're not getting any interest, any, you know, returns on it. And you're not, 
giving them permission to go and loan it and try to make that interest. So that's why it's a little different to the bank. Like the leverage stuff he was doing would be more comparable to that because you are and the interest bearing accounts that they have, because that's exactly what you're doing. The same thing a bank does. You deposit in there, you got an interest back and they went out and tried to make money with your money. So, and generally that's why in the past, you'd make sure to have a trustworthy bank that's been around for a long time and stuff like that because you don't know what they're doing out there. You don't want them to be making risky or stupid investments with your money. Now we have FDIC insurance, so the government backs every account to a certain extent, which just basically means instead of the customers of the bank taking the losses, the entire tax base takes the loss, you know, because that comes out of your tax dollars or it's printed. So they're basically just taking you know, someone's bad decision to join a sketchy bank that doesn't do good things with their money and not do their research, you're taking instead of them just taking the loss, the whole country takes a loss and makes that person whole, you know. So it's too uh, big to fail. A little, yes. Yeah, exactly. So the FDA and the FDIC insurance makes it so and the bailouts make it so they go out and take those risky investments that they seek them out because if they win, they win a bunch of money. If they lose, they get bailed out and their customers get made whole. So it's such a perverse incentive that really has a lot to do with the, the bubble economy we have. Yeah. They've been openly talking about bail-ins now as well, you know, where they basically steal your money. Um, whatever they oh, say, yeah. You know, don't really want to spread this around because that might make people lose confidence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no shit. They... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and they throw off at first that kind of stuff is just talk, but that's how it always starts. They, you know, some obscure news outlets or blogs talking about some crazy economic plan like stimulus checks going out to everybody as you tell them to sit home and on the couch. But then a yeah. couple years later, like they're reality, you know. So, and I am the stupidity of our like financial regulators and the Fed and the government in general surrounding you know economics and our economic future it, just, it never ceases to astound me they it's almost like they're trying to destroy the economy really like it is unsustainable yep. <laughs> the way we're printing and spending money way. right now <laughs> yeah i 100 percent think that that's what it is i think that they're, i think that's what they're trying to yeah do. there's been all too much um discussion too many people calling them on what is happening um trying to raise red flags too many people have uh who have opposed their particular brand of financial system and other countries and things like that that end up dead for this to not be an intentional um well you can't you can't have a great reset unless you smash up what's what's there to start with and maybe this ftx thing you know was part of the plan who knows i would say i mean it's incredibly suspicious yes yeah and i was going to say two things so first of all i do think that this is um very it seems very obvious as a problem reaction solution situation, meaning that they create the problem, then through the problem, they create fear and, you know, unknown or whatever for the average person. And then you have these people swooping in, in the form of regulators and like people that are anti-crypto and things like that, like Elizabeth Warren, um, who, who come up with the solution, which always happens to just create less freedom and less privacy for the taxpayer. Um, so it's it's unfortunate, but I feel like it kind of seems like that type of a situation. And what's important to note, or at least an anecdote that I find important, is that it doesn't only seem like they 
you know, d- destroyed it, like did a controlled demolition or trying to do a controlled demolition of the crypto industry. It seems also that they blew it up in the first place to the ranges it to the point where it was as big as it was and as much money in it as it was. And while FTX was on arenas and stuff like that, because the amount of, you know, sketchy financial investments and wash trading and the printing of money via stable coins and stuff like that, some of that's kind of technical stuff, but the financial shenanigans that took place on these offshore exchanges, not just FTX, but Binance and all of them, there's a lot of evidence of like incredible wash to wash trading is basically one person buying and selling coins to themselves or an NFT or whatever it is. So it gets the trading volume up and it gets the value up, but they're not losing any money because they just buy it with dollars and get Bitcoin. Then they'll immediately sell the Bitcoin for dollars. So they always have the dollars and the Bitcoin in two different accounts, but it shoots it way up. On regulated like stock brokers and stuff like that, it's really hard, if not impossible, to do that stuff. But with on these offshore exchanges with no regulate, I'm not advocating for regulation, by the way, but <laughs> no regulations or anything. It's just, it's too easy to do. I've even been in, uh, what coin was it? It was some like dog coin, like doge knockoff coin or whatever. And I was in one of their discords one day. And they were openly talking about wash trading. Okay, everybody go and buy this amount and sell this amount. And I was like, that, you know, that's wash trading and it's considered illegal. And I said that like, no, that's just how you do marketing these days. You got to get your volume up. So it's noticed on the charts and stuff like that. That's yeah. uh, so it's just how we do our marketing and it's cheaper than marketing because you get most of the money back. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, that's wash trading, dude. That's making fake demand. And yeah, and they're just openly talking about it in Discord. And that's just a small scale thing, but there's evidence that's happened on like a massive scale and that can, maybe Bitcoin really never was valued as 70 grand. Can I ask you, um, what what's the difference between wash trading and just a classic pump and dump? Uh, well, a classic pump and dump generally has wash trading involved, but I guess it doesn't have to. A pump and dump is just where... Like when it comes to crypto, I mean, it can happen in penny stocks and everything else. But when it happens in crypto, it's just somebody makes a coin. They don't do any marketing for the coin or anything like that. And so they either make it so when they design the coin, they either make it so they already hold a ton of it or a small amount of them do. Or they launch it on a decentralized exchange like Uniswap. And so they launch the coin, but don't tell anyone about it. So nobody knows it exists. They go and buy a bunch of it up for dirt cheap because they're the only one buying it. And then they go spend a bunch of money on marketing, paying a bunch of people to uh you know promote the coin and as people come in to buy it they just sell it so they basically had the coins before it started and started selling it when it got popularity and that's what 99 percent of crypto is is pump and dumps even if the people yeah. doing it don't mean to it's how it ends up happening i was just gonna say this sounds i don't know if you've been following it at all not to get us too far off topic but uh jake paul's um crypto coin that he turns out it's like basically a scam coin as well um yeah believe, crypto zoo yeah and i just saw jake paul i believe i saw he was suing um youtuber coffee zilla over basically exposing his scam crypto hmm. he actually dropped the lawsuit oh did he that's he uh yeah he did because he clearly had nothing he had nothing <laughs> to sue him on it was all true basically and there was one thing where like he recorded his manager in a phone call when he didn't have permission to. So that might be not legal, but it doesn't make anything not true. Yeah. And it's, uh, he basically showed, I mean, it was a failed project. It failed and never went anywhere or made him a bunch of money. And uh, actually 
According to the blockchain, he never cashed his out, but everyone else involved made a bunch of money. But as it turns out, Logan Paul actually didn't make any money off this one. But this is like a 10th crypto scam, you know, (laughs) project he's been a part of. Guys, we got it. Yeah, and he's. We got to pump up our Twitter numbers that we can get our own scam coin going. Tell me about it. Oh, yeah, dude. Dude, I could show you how to do it, man. I've been, you have no (laughs) idea how tempted I was, especially like a year and a half ago or so in the middle of the bull market, man, I was just watching these shit coins and these terrible, not even developers making coins and just making a bunch of, even if they don't make a bunch of money, there's tons of small ones where they just walked away with 50 or 60 grand for a few weeks work. And it's like, man, if I didn't have any ethics, I'm so, yes, it's also not, stealing. It's so easy. It's not 50 it's or 60 steal crypto million, too. but yeah, you you see the headlines about the ones that lose the millions and billions, but there are so many small ones on these little Discord groups where they just got a, you know, a few dozen people to throw in a grand each, but they were the only, you know, they were selling it all to them, and they just took off with the money, you know. The it's whole like, I could I could live with potential. I'm sorry, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. I was just gonna say I could live with maybe fifty, sixty, you know, grand, you know, once or twice a year. Right. Well, the other thing that can be concerned about is these kind of crimes, they never get prosecuted when they happen. They get prosecuted five years later, 10 years later. So I don't know if they're ever going to be able to get to all of the crypto scams and all the sketchy promoters doing sketchy things and stuff like that. But a lot of them definitely are. Do you you think it's, um, sorry, I was just going to say, do you think it's fundamentally different to what's always been happening, though? You know, it's, I mean, what you're talking about is a sort of trick that's as old as time, isn't it? You sort of, like you could do it with stocks. You buy up a load of cheap stocks and then you spread rumors, you know, that, oh, Elon Musk is going to buy my company or something. And, you know, that pushes the price up if you get people falling for it, you know. So what they're doing with crypto is not fundamentally different from what they do with everything else. It's just, I mean, and this this was actually a crime. So it's covered by existing laws. You know, it sounds like you just stole a load of money, which could happen, you know, no matter what you're invested in, really. Oh, yeah. And it ha- it happens in every industry. Obviously, the, there are some regulations that do help stop some of it, but they also do a lot of harm. Also, the thing with the economic system we have now, the fractional reserve fiat system is, yeah, they crack down on the small scammers. They crack yeah. down on the Logan Pauls and the people like that. But the entire system is a scam and it, is, it protects the biggest players that are getting not billions, not millions, not billions, trillions from this and funding war across the world and slowly draining the wealth from the common middle class citizen and giving it to the biggest corporations in the world. And uh, that so, yeah. So, yeah, you don't have all these little scams. You get these arguments all the time. You know, yeah, we're not going to have all these little scams if the government, you know, completely regulates every you know transfer of money on the internet ever you know and they control absolutely everything yeah it'll get rid of all these little scams it'll make it hard for these guys to do their little scam for a hundred grand or whatever but it enables it screws the entire everybody who's responsible and doesn't invest in those scams because they got to be part of this sketchy fiat system that just prints money to infinity creates these huge bubbles that just completely destroys everybody the next bubble like the bubble is popping now like who knows how bad this could get it's they have inflated it way bigger than anyone could ever expect it and now it's just it's crashing it hasn't even got bad yet and and talking of funding war daniel could you um uh, bring up the ukraine and democrat connections again because that's quite an interesting aspect of it i think 
And uh, before yeah. we do that, I have a couple of things because I think that'll take us into a totally new direction, which I'm told I'm very good with that. But I had a couple of things. I'm going to make a note about the Ukraine um, FTX as well. But first, the first question I wanted to ask was, does this have the makings of a Ponzi scheme? I mean, you called it theft. Is that basically what it was? It was just then you know, promising wealth, promising return, but really just stealing people's money? I think, yeah, I think it's closer to theft than a Ponzi scheme. Most crypto scams, they're, they're not involved with an exchange. And I would call those Ponzi schemes like some crappy little, you know, Shiba coin or something like that. But this is just theft to me because he wasn't, he was, people weren't giving them his giving them their money with the expectations of him doing something or getting a return or something like okay. that, like you would invest in a Ponzi scheme. They were right. just giving his money to hold and to facilitate the trades between people. And he was just stealing it. So yeah, there are Ponzi aspects to it. Like I guess maybe Alameda research could be called a Ponzi scheme because they're still taking investments and stuff like that. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, Is Alameda still operating? Oh no, no, no. Okay. They're I was uh, just checking. They declared they declared bankruptcy too. And do you know what the rumor is that they had their account, FTX account, all their accounts added up were negative 1.5 billion when it collapsed. Yeah, that was their trading accounts on their own exchange. They rigged the exchange so they couldn't get liquidated. So they could, yeah, that's a whole nother technical thing. They basically gave them preferential treatment so they couldn't lose really. And they still lost a billion and a half dollars just from their FTX trading account. They're incompetent as hell. So, um, but yeah, you, you might call that a Ponzi scheme because they're still taking investors' money and promising them returns. But to me, just the story of FTX is just blatant theft. You gave people their money and they stole it, you know, just like a storage unit. You're putting all your stuff in a storage unit and you come to get it one day and it's not there. That's what the that's what I compare it to, at least. Their token would have aspects of a Ponzi scheme, right? Because they were sort of pushing Oh, yeah. Late in the price of that yeah their token is a whole nother rabbit hole because yeah they were wash trading their own token they held the majority of the supply and they created a new supply and lied about it there was more tokens in circulation than they claimed and then they used and then as the price of it went up to like 40 or 50 dollars however high it went they used that as collateral for loans for bitcoin and other things or loans from banks and stuff like that saying, oh, look at, we got billions of dollars of this crypto asset. And they use that, which it wasn't real volume. It wasn't real value. It wasn't liquid at all. They couldn't sell it for that as much as they were claiming they could. Because if they were sold it, the value would have went down to zero because there was hardly anyone buying it. It was all fake wash trading. That's where the wash trading comes back in again. The wash trading creates the volume, creates the value, you know, creates the volume, which makes the value of it go up. They use that value, that number, as collateral to go take out loans on other cryptocurrencies and stuff like that. And it just creates this bubble, like doing the same things that traditional finance finances have done, you know, leveraging on leverage on top of leverage on top of leverage, you know, there's like in the markets, like the currency markets and metals markets, there's like 30 times the amount of gold trading than is like in existence or something like that. Cause they're all derivatives. You're not actually, there are yeah. some, tools where you can just trade gold specifically where they take it from your vault to someone else's vault when you sell it but most of it's just derivatives when you're doing online trading and stuff like that it's just uh you know them tracking the price of gold and giving you the difference whether you lost money or made money that's all it and so they have 30 times the amount being traded that's actually in circulation with crypto 
they just exasperated that even more and have like a hundred times more being traded than is actually in existence, you know, because future contracts don't ever buy or sell Bitcoin. They're just numbers on a numbers on yeah. a computer. So it's yeah, they just made everything really it made crypto has really made scamming easier to access for the common man, you know? So it's like you can make these crypto coin scams or you can just pump fake projects that your buddies are in and stuff like that, which I get the which I get the argument that the regulation needs to come on because of that kind of stuff. But in my opinion, people just need to get more responsible with their freaking money. Yes. Yes. Buy like, everywhere. This, Make smart decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I'm all for democratization of scamming. That sounds good to me. Let's yeah. yeah, and they have to a common man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because and people have to understand anything that has a high, really high rate of return. You know, the S&P 500 is given about an 8% return a year for like 100 years now or something like that. You know, if you're getting these, if you're buying an asset or investing in something with the hopes of getting a 100% gain, doubling your money, or in crypto's case, people, you know, get 10 times, 20 times their money, like, yeah, it has the higher upside, but it also has the same higher downside. When you get those kind of returns, it's inherently more risky. There's no getting around it. Like, if you're expecting to triple your money off Bitcoin, like, you have to take into account the risk that goes into that because there's just as much risk as there is, or there's exact correlation. There's just as much reward as there is to risk. And people go all in on these things. Like with the Logan Paul fiasco, I watched the CoffeeZilla stuff. And there you had several people on there like I invested a hundred grand into uh, crypto zoo and blah and, and stuff like that. I'm like a hundred fucking grand. This is like his 10th scam coin and they're putting <laughs> their pictures on a screen. At some point, this guy has got to take some responsibility for himself that he has a gambling problem. It's not that yeah. he's getting scammed. It's that he's got a gambling problem. He can't stop throwing the money down on the board trying to double it. No regulation is going to fix that. I will say in in his defense, like watch it, like it all started with game stonks, and you know, like now everyone else is just looking for that get quick rich scheme. Like if like because now all all you want to do is get on the bottom floor of a crypto that's gonna shoot up ten thousand percent. It's happened tons of times before. It's probably all um, wash trading and and all that shit. But like well, you gotta yeah, live the dream. A lot of people have made them. Yeah, and I get it where you every time you watch a YouTube video or anything to do with finance, you hear it's stories of people that made a ton off, you know, some asset or off crypto and stuff like that. And it does get really appealing. But people just got gotta be reminded, like they got that reward. Yeah, they made all that money, but there's a hundred other guys that lost all that money, you know. Oh, at least. And as Cyprian yeah. uh formerly Vin Armani says all the time, he's quoting a pimp. And I cannot remember the name of the pimp right now, but um, Iceberg Slim, potentially. Anyway, he said, you can't con an honest man. He says this all the time. You cannot con an honest man, meaning you cannot, it's not honest of you to expect that you're going to put in $100 or whatever, $1,000 and, and become a millionaire from that without doing any work, without you know, and it kind of is something that I keep in mind and think about quite a bit. Um, and I think that a lot of this stuff is kind of related to that. And and it does go back to having some personal responsibility well, here. You say that, but Sheba is currently at point 
zero 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 nine cents per coin <laughs> to the moon. A hundred percent. To the um, moon. Okay, a couple of other things that I wanted to check off the list before we move into the Ukraine and the Democratic Party and kind of funneling money in that way is, do you think that there is a possibility that some of these, this smaller fraud and maybe even like the GameStop stuff is PSYOP or is is having... Um, I, I guess, federal infiltration, you know, people that are looking to kind of go after the small guy, and, you know, and maybe this isn't related, but like, it bothers me the whole January 6th thing. I feel like that was a psyop. I feel like people are essentially being tortured there in, you know, solitary confinement, things like that. And yet Sam Bankman fried stole all of this stuff and he's in house or on house arrest, just chilling in California. I mean, it's, it's really frustrating. And allegedly, allegedly that, I remembered seeing that his parents supposedly put up the house for his bond, but I remember someone saying like it actually only came out to being like 10 grand worth of bond or something like that. And there was two people that he had requested to have their identity shielded from helping him in this situation. And I believe that was with his bond. Yeah, because it's was really straight. This isn't bond, Was he able to pay his bond in FTX tokens or not? <laughs> <laughs> I bet he tried. <laughs> but, hey, yeah, his bond situation is really crazy because that's such a high, you know, bail. That's you normally how you do bail is you pay a bail bondsman 10% and he covers the rest, you know. But I don't know if you can find a bails bondsman that's gonna let you, you know, pay 25 million and him pay the other 225 million or whatever it is whatever the math works out to. Yeah, that's a lot of money to put up as collateral. So, and his parents have always made good money, you know, but I don't know if they have $250 million worth of houses to put up. That's a lot of house. Like <laughs> that's, yeah, I don't think they have that much money. And uh, so I'm also curious where, you know, how much their assets were worth and where those came from. Cause his mom and dad also took money from FTX. Like they were, their uh, their charities and stuff took money from it and they lived in a house that FTX paid for and stuff like that. So I'm really curious about that. That's a lot of when he first got that amount of bail, the 250 million, I was like, okay, he's staying in jail. I had never thought that I think it might be <laughs> one of the biggest bails ever. Yeah. It, yeah, it I really never is, thought they'd be able to get it says something about him though, because I mean, and I think about it, if I were going to jail for something like that and my parents were saying, Oh, we're putting up our house for collateral yada 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 get you out of there and i'm like uh you know what just don't do that <laughs> yeah. let, well it's funny because you know, i right? actually that's a little extreme I, I actually one time had a bail of 50 grand and once they told me the amount uh, oh shit i'm getting comfortable <laughs> yeah just, dude i had 80 grand i had eighty thousand dollars. they stacked those charges on me and i had eighty thousand dollar bond and yeah i stayed in jail too <laughs> oh. it sucked yeah, but they were all dropped too. They just stacked up a bunch of bullcrap charges. Oh, I'm right there Anyways, with yes. you. They can get you with those. What else is curious about usually when you get arrested for uh, internet crimes or financial crimes, anything involving a computer, usually one of the terms of your release is that you're not allowed to touch a computer or the internet. But the first pictures that came out of him released was him in the first class flight with his parents on a laptop. Jesus. 
So Jesus. that I was interesting. What Why is he... <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And then all the money got moved too. The money got moved the day. Yeah, what a I mean, that could very easily, I mean, maybe some low level work there, worker there who had access to the funds wanted to move them without getting caught. So they thought it would be a good idea to move him right when he got out of jail to make it look like it's him or something. I don't know, but it is interesting. A bunch of money moved the night he got out and he was on computers that night. So, and now he's trying to access his Robinhood stock. He owns $500 million in Robinhood stock, but they actually just seized it today. I think they seized his Robinhood stock because he was trying to liquidate it for legal fees, which obviously you can't do that when it's paid for with stolen money. But he owns a huge part of Robinhood mm. and a lot of other exchanges. He owned part of uh, this other exchange called, I think it's pronounced Wobi. They're pretty much collapsing. I mean, they're not collapsing, but they've frozen a lot of withdrawals and their, uh, uh, their site's freezing up like crazy and looks like Wobi's going to be the next exchange to go. That's what it seems like, at least. It's a big one in Asia. And it's owned by another sketchy crypto influencer named Justin Sun. That wow. and yeah, the ramifications of FTX is just huge. There's and now Grayscale is on the uh, being investigated by the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, which is like the institutional way to invest in Bitcoin is to buy Grayscale. Their parent company is under investigation by the New York Attorney General right now, and that's not a good sign because if that collapses, that's just gonna, totally going to kill any uh, commercial. Uh, interest in bitcoin really like that's going to be a huge blow to bitcoin if they lose bitcoin grayscale bitcoin trust because that's just that was supposed to be the responsible people in the room doing a bitcoin derivative the correct way and stuff like that and now their parent company is under investigation because their trading desk genesis is also filed for bankruptcy and not giving in the, their customer funds yeah it's a whole web of a I could go on for hours about all the crypto companies going under right now. Well, maybe, maybe, we can, maybe we can save that for our um, predictions area, because I was thinking what we can do is maybe finish up with some predictions of maybe the next dominoes to fall. What does this mean for the average person and crypto going forward and regulation and things like that? Of course, we don't know. It would just be speculation, but maybe we can have a little predictions area. And then I also do want to go ahead and move on. If you would like to touch on the situation that was discovered that's very fishy of some of the donations and some of what appears to be or maybe could be considered money laundering through Ukraine. Yes, well, everybody saw the headlines about all these crypto projects and crypto bros donating to the Ukraine war effort. Not humanitarian effort. I mean, some of it obviously went to humanitarian efforts. They're giving it to the government of Ukraine. They weren't giving it to the Red Cross or anything like that. They're giving it to the government of Ukraine to wage war with, which I thought was a really strange rally to, you know, thing to rally behind. I thought maybe Red Cross or something else, but no, they all, everybody jumped on board. And so uh, FTX and the Ukrainian financial, whoever their financial committee is or branch, whatever it is, made a deal, made an agreement with FTX. And FTX facilitated all the crypto donations. They set up crypto wallets and people donated to them. And FTX turned those into cash for them. And uh, the sketchy thing about that that I find the most interesting is the first couple weeks it was up, there was a website where you could track the donations and add all donation addresses. And within a few weeks, it went up to $60 million that were donated. And then after those first few weeks, that 
donation amount on the bottom of the screen just stayed the same for months and months and months. So according to their reporting, all that we, the only info we have right now is they got $60 million in the first few weeks and then didn't get any money after that, even though they continue asking for it, continue, you know, sharing the links to donate to it and stuff. So I thought that was the most interesting thing that they, I mean, what are the chances that, you know, they had it going for nine or 10, I think they might even still have it going. I don't know, but it's, for uh, at the time of the FTX collapse, they still had it showing sixty million dollars, which was the same thing it had six months earlier. So mm -hmm. it's curious to see if they got any more money in between there, which I'm certainly they did. I mean, it's hard to imagine they got you know the wallet was just filling up like that and then just stops all of a sudden at once. So who knows how much money really went through there? But yeah, and he, uh, I haven't been able to confirm this, but there's people saying that he went to he was going to Ukraine last year before the war because the war started in. Uh, or year before last now, I guess. War started in February of last year, and he was there a year before that. So he had ties to Ukraine uh, long before the war even started. So, but that's all, there really hasn't been anybody investigating that angle of it. I don't even know how you'd go about it either, you know? The funds were sent to FTX, and they FTX sent cash to Ukraine. There's no way to see those cash transactions or anything like that. So I'm hoping some that gets investigated someday. But when it got brought, who was who brought that up? Was it Rand Paul? I don't know. Somebody brought it up that maybe that it should be part of the House investigations, and it got shot down immediately. As you know, a shocker. Trying to, yeah, exactly. Like, why well, are you trying to interfere with the war and blah blah blah? So I don't know if we'll ever get the answers on that. But it's super interesting that it just connects to there too. Out of all the exchanges, you know, FTX. It wasn't, it wasn't even the biggest exchange. It was the fourth biggest exchange. Why did, how did they spark up a relationship with them? You know, I mean, it's obviously seems to me like they had a relationship before then, at least a, a acquaintanceship, you know, because they could have went with Coinbase. They could have went Binance. They could have went with anybody, but they went with FTX, which is super well, suspicious. Uh, SBF was the second biggest donor to the Dems, wasn't it? Just behind George Soros. So, uh, yes, might be second biggest. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. Ukraine's just such a massive monetary black hole, isn't it? Who knows where the money's going? I don't suppose we'll ever find out. Yeah, there's so much money flooding into there. And they said they found arms, uh, you know, arms that were sent to Ukraine with, like, biker gangs in Finland and stuff like that. Like, yeah, you can't so control. When you're sending that much money and weapons to a war zone, it's not you're not going to account for it. It's going to go all over that, the place. Yeah, Ukraine is notorious for, for uh, arms deals right for you know the the ukrainians uh the gangsters there don't they aren't they dealing in arms like that's their culture right so yeah, human, human trafficking too human yeah. trafficking yeah. i'm gonna say uh, it's supposed to be the european capital for human trafficking right and that, that's what i was gonna say a phrase that i have seen pop up quite a bit probably it would have had to have been in the independent media or maybe the old corporate media whenever it served them to to tell this bit of truth but basically a quote hotbed of corruption um you know that ukraine has been known to be just unbelievably corrupt for a long time yeah it is all of eastern europe is really and there's so much trafficking over there you know all the white prostitutes you see around europe and stuff like that that's where they're coming from is eastern europe because they i mean they have the white skin that a lot of people are looking for but then they're impoverished have little chance you know little movement up economically and stuff like that so they get trapped in with uh predatory men and stuff like that and end up being trafficked for prostitution or or streaming webcam porn 
<laughs> like well, Andrew Tate, supposedly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, have you Which seen I don't, some I of mean, those girls? It's it's <laughs> it's hard right, to believe like, them. <laughs> I don't have much of an opinion on Andrew Tate, but when I hear that a guy who made his millions of dollars doing streaming webcam porn from Eastern Europe, and then a little while later, he gets accused of trafficking women, I'm like, uh, if you were going to traffic women, that's what you'd be doing and where you'd be doing it. So I don't know. I don't want to draw any conclusions on him. I don't know a ton about him, but I'm personally not that shocked that someone in Eastern Europe that does cam porn might have forced a few girls to stay there. You know, yeah. that sounds right up. That happens all the time in pornography. There's loads of trafficking in it. Mm -hmm. And it's sad. So do we have I don't any even know if I touch as to as to where SBF seed money came from? No, and that's the biggest question I want to know. Like where did he get I mean his parents have always had good jobs. They were uh um teachers and stuff like that you know i wouldn't be surprised if they made a million dollars a year or something but they didn't make billions and billions of dollars to build this exchange and to fund it and to put liquidity on it i did i heard monica say that she was actually does it monica i heard say she was a student of sbf's dad the father yeah yeah yeah, so well, yeah, yeah so yeah they were teachers you know they weren't making billions of dollars and he was just, he worked at a trading firm called Jane Street, but he was never, he was just a prop trader. He was never like their desk trader at the, you know, he's just a low level trader. And he just got all this money out of nowhere, started this exchange, had money for all kinds of stuff. Cause you could not, not only could you trade cryptocurrency on that exchange, they had derivatives for Apple stock and for NASDAQ and all that other stuff. You weren't really trading the NASDAQ or Apple stock. It was just a derivative. So you're just trading the price. But yeah, he had everything on there and got it super quick. I think they even had metals on there. I think you could trade gold derivatives and stuff. It was just, any you could just deposit Bitcoin on there and get 100x leverage to trade whatever the hell you wanted. And whatever he had to tell you to get him to deposit your money in exchange. Because FTX was like the choice exchange for a lot of traders who traded every day, you know, just because the features on it were so, it, you know, their interface worked really well, apparently. I never used it. Their interface worked really well, apparently, and they had all these other derivatives on there. You could trade easily with Bitcoin, which is easier than going through a registered broker and all the headache that it takes going and trading that way. So, yeah, they was just soaking money in that way really quickly. And all that costs money to build. You know, every instrument you put on there, you have to have servers for and technicians for and everything. And yeah, they were just popping them out like crazy and investing in every shitcoin project you could imagine. Not even the good crypto projects, like these crazy, horrible shit coins they were holding and nfts and stuff like that and yeah it it's pretty remarkable it's hard to imagine that it seems like it was ran by the, like the stupidest crypto bro you could imagine which i don't believe he's that stupid and i don't believe his parents are that stupid like the level of trading and risk management they had was so elementary like it's not even funny it was like if you got a guy trading learning technical analysis or something for six weeks and then put them in charge of a freaking $10 billion, what they would do with the money. You know, anybody who has any, you know, uh, knowledge about risk management at all would have known that whole thing is going to go belly up eventually. That wasn't as sustainable. And that it's just, it's shocking. The more information you find out the things they were holding, like they didn't even have any Bitcoin. Really? They had no I Bitcoin. like that. I mean, his hairstyle is crazy. Yeah, That's right? Yeah, thing. and it also seems like he looked like that on purpose almost. It's like you got a billion dollars, cut your hair and put on a suit, dude. He, he, but that was part of his image, too. 
he must have had, I mean, obviously he had connections, but I think that must have been where his weight was coming from, you know, and that's why people had faith in him because he had somebody else vouching for him. There's no way these guys with that are going to be able to invest millions or billions of dollars are going to look at him and just say, sure, sure, kid, pat him on the back, take, yeah. take all this money. Yeah. yeah there was loads of different in- investors that were supposedly do, were supposed to do their due diligence into researching them and stuff. And there's no way they could have without seeing these red flags. No. There's a lot of people that did try. Uh, he did go to for investments that did do re- their due diligence into him and didn't trust him and didn't give him their money. Then these other big companies, even down to the arenas that he got FTX put on the, they have like these boards that are with those uh, arenas. I don't know if it's a city or a County or the company that runs it. But they investigate hardcore into their sponsors to make sure they're not, I mean, one of the things, make sure they're not a scam or to make sure they're not doing anything illegal and stuff like that. They don't just take anybody's money and throw it on a stadium. They, they It's not like I couldn't open a company today and then go over there and get it put on a stadium. They have no connections. They'd have to do research into it. You'd have to have some longevity to make sure you're not going to be disappear the next day. It doesn't seem like any of that happened with any of the FTX stuff. And loads of different firms invested with them. That's the other. There's a bank right now that's having a bank run. Uh, Silver Silvergate, yeah, Silvergate was one of the banks that investigated with investigated. I'm sorry, invested in FTX, and they're one of the few banks that works with crypto uh, around the world. Lots of people have their that have crypto businesses uses bank accounts stuff like that, and they are on a bank run right now and aren't uh, facilitating withdrawals at the moment. And they're a huge bank too. <clears throat> And that, how did they get mixed up in it without, you know, doing their due diligence? Like, that's what risk management is, you know? You uh, you take what is the absolute worst case scenario that could happen here, and would we be able to survive that? And that's, like, the whole point of it. And they obviously didn't look at their books because even a small crypto bear market totally blows up their entire bubble, you know? And it only took a cursory look to do that, and nobody saw it. None of these blockchain analyzing... uh companies like Chainalysis, they're constantly watching the blockchains. They help investigators and stuff like that. They give information about what's happening on the blockchains. They never noticed or never mentioned that Alameda Research and FTX were blatantly commingling their their funds. Like blatantly. Anybody went and looked at it. I mean, I I never went and looked at it, but I'm also not a blockchain researcher and I'm not a blockchain analysis. Don't work for a blockchain analysis company. But those companies are supposed to pay attention to the exchanges and how much money they have in their wallets and stuff. They never even noticed that two of the biggest companies in crypto were commingling their wallets blatantly. It's just like too many coincidences like this that it makes me feel like it was a bubble that was blown up. All of crypto was a bubble not all of crypto there's i'm a fan of a lot of crypto and but i believe it was all blown up like money was poured into it leverage was made available to make the number go up you know and get as big as they can get as many people investigate invested in it as they can get all these new uh you know day traders out there thinking they're geniuses making money and keeping their money on these exchanges and then pop it all with a pinprick and then you know loads of money gets lost uh, the people cry for the regulations and a lot of people are just flat out turned off by it. So many people are turned off by Bitcoin now because of this. And to be honest, like this has nothing to do with Bitcoin almost, to be honest. And most crypto scams don't. Most of the coins, like these Shiba Inu coins and all the other ones, 
Oh, you're you know, talking shit about better. my millions of Sheba. Oh, I'm sorry. That's just the first one that pops up. Any uh, any of the dog derivative shit coins would work, though. Oh, Sheba's actually a big Doge. one, so it's not even the worst. <laughs> um. So yeah, they go ahead. I was just gonna say, um, I did have a couple of questions and slash or notes. Um, so I wanted to back up to like where his seed money came from, and it was my like once when we were talking about this the first time um and if you guys um haven't listened to that podcast um definitely uh there was a part one uh episode number uh 16 uh my theory was as we kind of went over all this it sounds exactly like epstein uh how epstein got his funds it just kind of magically appeared and then there's a lot of massage links and I'm not gonna go into any JQ conspiracies right now, but I'm just saying that he does have the tiny hat um, and <laughs> you know links to Israel, so and Ukraine, and it's it's it seems like all of the deep state actors are kind of in this like Venn diagram of countries. Um, but tiny hat, yeah, it seems yeah. too perfect, right? And then um, I also wanted to ask you because I haven't really been following it that much. Are, is anyone else from FTX and or Alameda um, in any sort of legal trouble besides just like uh, civil action being open to them? Yes, uh, Caroline Ellison, the CEO of Alameda Research, and Gary Wang. He was the CTO, Chief Technical Officer of FTX. He was there from the very beginning. Super suspicious guy that's got connect. He's a Chinese guy that's got connections to Chinese, some of the biggest companies in China, which you don't. Every company in China has a CCP representative on the board, you know, so, so that's a whole nother rabbit hole to go down is the Gary Wang one and his connections to China, which is probably where the money came from to begin with is Gary Wang. He's a very suspicious character. There's only one picture of him on the Internet and it's of the back of his head. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy stuff. And uh, he is the most interesting character, but he uh, and Caroline Ellison both pled guilty. They got a plead deal and pled to it whilst cooperating in the investigation against Sam Bigman free, but they've already pled guilty and are waiting on sentencing now. Okay. So she still could, they both could do, still get a long sentence too. Do you know but that's all it, your head, what the, their minimum maximum kind of area is. Well, one article that I read that was just speculating was saying that she could get, still get up over a hundred years because they didn't promise her anything. They didn't, you know, they didn't make any promises to her. They just said it would be better for you to cooperate. You know, that's yeah, and that's how it usually works. You don't usually make a deal where they promise to let you off or something like that. They say work with us, and it'll be easier with for you. But they could still charge, uh, give you the same sentence in the end. You know, they don't promise anything. So she still could go away for a while. I would yeah. be. So, I mean, I'm not a legal expert or anything, but I, I would be surprised if she didn't do some time at least. But I don't think it's going to be you know, a long time. I think she'll be out in a few years because she worked with them. And But she uh, admitted to knowing they were transferring funds to Alameda and being directed to by him. So she admitted to stealing, you know. So, and Gary Wang, I haven't heard anything that he's admitted to, but he pled guilty. So I guess we could probably look at the plea deal that they got and see what they pled to. But yeah, I was surprised they got a guilt. They got them to plead guilty so quick. These types of crimes usually take a long time to investigate. Having them arrested so quickly is also 
I mean, usually this kind of stuff is hard to prove because it's all electric, not hard to prove, but takes time to prove and investigate. So you're looking through numbers and bank accounts and blockchain transactions and stuff like that. That's why financial crimes sometimes take decades to prosecute and stuff. But this one they're moving right along with. But that's might be part of the show. I'm man, if he Jeffrey Epstein's in the prison, then I'm gonna then that's just gonna be like <laughs> the cherry on top for me. I'll you know, I'll have I'll have to go back and, and re-listen to the old episode, but I do believe that I said that SBF didn't Epstein himself. Yeah, I think you did too. And I wouldn't be surprised to see that because when this first started, the first few days out of the collapse, I was like, why the hell is he not? He didn't have any restrictions on his passport or anything. He could have gotten on a private jet in the Bahamas and flown to Dubai. He could have ran away to a million places and he had hundreds of millions of dollars under his control. Why the hell? And he just blatantly stole from people. Anyone that has any common sense will know you're you just got caught blatantly stealing from ten billion dollars. You're going to prison. Why didn't he just get on a jet and go somewhere Eastern Europe or Dubai or something like that and live the rest of his life? Probably even go, gone to Israel. I'm I, I'm sure Ukraine. Like, um, what's his face would uh you know give him a given him like um right. uh, uh Azov battalion like you know whole. Uh, <laughs> Like gang, not gang, but like a crew, you know, and it's like yeah. all rushing. I wonder, I, I bet it's, you know, maybe it's possible these were just dumb kids and they were being influenced by the people that were vouching for them because the people who were vouching for them knew that they were going to fail. And so they kind of orchestrated the whole thing. But maybe they were just dumb kids who were given this opportunity to make billions of dollars. And they were they were they knew it was kind of wrong and so when they got caught they were like oh gosh i'm afraid so yeah sure i did it i did it you know they, they didn't know that they needed to flee to eastern europe to avoid getting right. caught and all that stuff maybe well, they I, were, I, I really may, have, may have thought it was going to get off i suppose i mean that part's slightly reminiscent of Ghislaine maxwell actually because you know why why did she come back to the states that was yeah really she could have disappeared too yeah, they could all be like Roman Polanski, just never come back to the U.S. Yeah. And uh, But yeah, I think there is a good chance that these are just stupid kids that were being used and being directed by other people because, I don't know, so they had a one of their chats on, a, what's it called, their little chat app that they use for like Slack. Slack. One of their Slack wow. channels. One, one of their Slack channels was called Wire Fraud <laughs> and stuff like that. And like they're just there investing was just so terrible. They bought some horrible NFTs that are worth nothing. And then they invested like it's all just amateur hour. Did they they don't, not, maybe they were just they don't sound like particularly smart people in interviews. They they're just a bunch of kids, you know. Did they just, not have yeah. any lawyers on retainer at FTX? It's like, hey. Like I'm cool with you guys having a, a Slack channel to discuss wire fraud, but maybe call it like this is not anti, you know, wire fraud channel. <laughs> not wire when fraud. On, channel. Yeah. <laughs> when you're on the upslope of a bubble like this, though, there's always opportunities. I remember when the tech bubble started taking off, and all sorts of crazy companies run by people who didn't know anything really about anything were making loads of money. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's just what's going on here. Yeah, yeah it's really reminiscent of the tech bubble, actually. The whole crypto or, bubble in general is really reminiscent. Maybe, well, maybe they're, you know, were set up as patsies because I I feel like there's certainly a lot more going on uh, from nefarious actors um, that are in the background of this um, per the problem reaction solution. I mean, one thing that we do know is that they do not want people... <clears throat> 
to actually understand how to use cryptocurrency to their benefit. And this may also serve for them to continue to centralize, you know, like maybe you have one or two really big exchanges. And if you didn't purchase XYZ from there or, or whatever, or maybe they even plan on using these huge exchanges like Coinbase or whatever to, to help facilitate the central bank digital currency that they're trying to usher in. I don't know. I just feel like there's a lot more at play here. And it's certainly maybe... SBF and Caroline were innocent, but whoever is really behind this, I think this was intentional. Well, and that leads me to, um, it's, I might've dreamed this. Um, I feel like I remembered seeing an article that was like in the past couple of days saying um, that like the central banks are currently buying like trillions of dollars. I think it was BlackRock buying like trillions of dollars in Bitcoin. Is that something? Um, is that something? I that haven't seen that. I haven't seen that. There's been like Kathy Wood. She's been the big and uh, what's his name? Michael Saylor. They both have been buying Bitcoin lately and Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. It wasn't trillions of dollars worth, though. Somebody would have put trillions of dollars in in a short period. That would send the price up a lot more. But uh, I, I don't remember seeing anything about Black BlackRock was and BlackRock was through one of their subsidiaries was invested in FTX though they were one of the ones involved in it. Well, it's, I am I, I am fake news. <laughs> well, uh, I think yeah, Black I don't know. Well, there has been news about Kathy Wood and her Ark Innovate. She does the Ark Innovation ETF, and uh, then there's Michael Saylor, and they've both been buying Bitcoin lately. But they're kind of always buying it, so I don't know. I'm not a fan of either of those guys. And Especially I think that um that BlackRock was investing a lot into Coinbase, which I thought was ominous. Mm. Um, and that'd be more up their alley is investing in an exchange than it would be a than a, a actual Bitcoin. That'd be up their alley more. Unless they were planning on buying 50.1% of all Bitcoin. Right. Cue oh, ominous music. That's a really good question. <laughs> and actually, uh, that could probably be a topic. Like if we wanted to start integrating a regular crypto discussion, that maybe a next topic could be, you know, doing a little bit of a deeper dive into Coinbase and kind of what are some of the, the people that um, or some of these huge investment firms, what are they up to? You know, so we know that we have the, the big... Um, coin exchanges like Coinbase, and we know that we have these big investment firms and that we know that we have the CBDC that's coming down the pipe. So maybe we can um, touch base on that on another episode. And just on the C- have I remember right when this happened, I think it was New York um, started their CBDC coin. Um, have, I haven't seen anything about that since, since it happened. Yeah. It was a New York Fed starting testing their CBDC. It happened like the same exact week. They started testing one of their CBDCs. Mexico's testing one. There's a few other countries doing it too. Yeah. And some of them are using like existing blockchains, like uh uh which one was it? Uh crap. Yeah, they're using several blockchains. Avalanche was one of them, and Algorand. They're trying testing out CBDCs on those existing blockchains. So there's going to be a lot of interest in it in the future. There's also a lot of resistance to CBDCs because what a lot of people don't realize is 
I mean, there is like an agenda to go towards a whole digital controllable currency and stuff like that. There's also like different in these cartels, there's disagreements in these groups of people. And if there is a true CBDC controlled by the Fed, that would make like commercial banking almost unnecessary or obsolete. So yeah. there's a lot of these commercial banks that are actually against it against decentralization because they have a sweet setup right now where they get to print money loan money into existence you know they got the feds okay to loan money into existence and what the feds trying to do with the cbdc is to basically get rid of them as the middleman and do it all themselves you know i don't so think jamie really interesting situation like right yeah so there's a lot of people which the whole this whole cryptocurrency industry over the last 10 years has really done like all the research into it that they needed to. They've got these more scalable blockchains, way to do centralized blockchains instead of decentralize them, and then have really fast transactions that can handle millions of transactions a second under the control of just a small group of people controlling the actual blockchain, controlling the nodes. And they've done all the research into it now. It's kind of like how Microsoft and every other computer company, you know, Microsoft will come out with the computer and come out with the ability to... Uh, build stuff on the computer and then the users and de private developers and stuff like that build all the cool stuff on it build all the cool apps and stuff like that you know like microsoft didn't or google didn't build youtube or whatever youtube was started by a few guys and they built it up and got bought out and took it over you know and that's usually how it more goes that seems to have what happened over the last 10 years in crypto they let private entrepreneurs private developers and individuals go and build all these blockchains try all these different things for decentralized and centralized and now they're popping the whole bubble and trying to take control of it themselves, you know? Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of what I see happening. Um, that is something that I would like us to discuss at another time. I did want to let everyone know we are right just over the hour mark. So I thought we could go ahead and wrap up the call. But um, just really quickly, Daniel, if you have any other predictions that you would like to throw out specifically related to the FTX situation, I mean, uh, we already have discussed the, the legal issues of Caroline. That was one of my things. I didn't realize they were already involved in the legal process here. Um, but if there's anything else, and then otherwise, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Um. Well, what I see in the future of crypto and FTX, I don't think FTX is going to be a lot. I think FTX is the biggest one to go down, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see this is still only the beginning of it. And we see troubles with Binance and Wobi and all these other big exchanges. OKX is also having troubles right now. And so I think this is just the beginning of a you know long, drawn-out process that's going to go into a that I think the normal economy is going into a recession. And I think this is just going to be drawn out that goes into it. And they're going to, I don't, they already have regulations proposed, but those are basically, they're not going to pass. Elizabeth Warren's first bill is not going to pass, but it's the beginning of it. There's going to be a crypto bill that passes soon. And they're basically, yeah, they're going to try to outlaw like privately holding your Bitcoin and crypto. And you're especially with the privacy coins like Monero and Pirate Chain, they're going to try to make it so you have to go through a broker just like you do with stocks or anything else, which if they succeed in doing that, it basically makes crypto just like anything else. It gets rid of the decentralization of it and basically ruins it. If people use it, they can't physically shut it down. They could make it illegal, just like they could make drugs illegal, but that doesn't keep the drugs off the street. But hey, it would be hey. a huge limitation if they succeed. <laughs> The drug war has begun spectacularly. I can't see a single thing wrong with it. Right? It's one-sided, that's for sure. <laughs> mm, the fentanyl's winning. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't see a good time. I think 
I think cryptos, they're trying to take crypto away from its initial thesis of decentralized peer-to-peer money, ways to buy and sell stuff from each other without the government. They're doing as much as they can to draw attention away from that to just other useless use cases for crypto like nfts and scams and stuff like that then as everybody loses their money it's like oh look we got to regulate it but we'll still give you the upside of digital currencies just as long as we control them and blah 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 but it's all the long that's throughout all of this the entire the original ethos of bitcoin has like almost been completely lost and nobody's using it to buy or sell stuff which it doesn't matter what the price is if nobody's buying or selling it. Like that's the point is to replace fiat currency or at least replace it for those of us that choose to use it. But with the way we're doing things right now, the way we're leveraging and shooting the price up to the moon and then crashing it back down to earth, it's completely useless as a currency because it's too you can't you can't accept something for purchases that you don't know if it'll lose 25% of its value tomorrow. And that's coming from the speculation. That's coming from people leveraging it out the ass. And basically it comes from trying to do all these other things with crypto rather than just peer-to-peer transactions like it was initially meant for. They're trying to act like crypto is this revolutionary, you know, game-changing thing or sent to us from God or something. But in reality, it's just a tool. It can be used for, we can use it to benefit us or it can be used against us or we don't have to use it at all. It's not a gift from God. It's not one of Zeus's lightning bolts or something like it's just a tool like a tractor or anything else. And we choose to use it, then it has a lot of potential. But right now that seems to be getting lost. And more and more people are just concerned about making money and losing money than they are about getting away from the dollar. They're just trying That's, to accumulate more dollars. I'm certainly just holding on to my crypto as a hedge against inflation, which yeah, and may or may not be working. <laughs> yeah, which I agree with that. I mean, that I mean it's that would be great if we could do that, but crypto's got to get its value from somewhere and it was designed Bitcoin was designed to get its value from being a currency from people transacting in it. But yep. the outlook towards it completely changed when you listen to people like Michael Saylor and stuff like that, they openly advocate for not using your Bitcoin. They say hold on to it, which I agree with, you know. I still believe that Bitcoin's going to be worth more in the future. I don't think it's going away. It might be a while before it gets back up there again, but I think sometime it will be there again. Diamond but, hands. But use it. I think the best, you know, I, I want to see more people using it. The biggest uh, promoters of Bitcoin today have, advocate for not using it, for holding it, and for using Visa, which it's just, if Satoshi would hear that or the people originally involved in Bitcoin, you know, they throw their hands up in the air. Like, that's not the point. The point is to have a cash, a peer-to-peer system for buying and selling stuff that the government can't control. And we have that, but we're not using it for that. We'd all rather speculate on it. And I don't know. I get pretty disgruntled these days because we have so much potential with this, and I feel like we're wasting it. Well, let me ask you. And I feel you, like it's being wasted. It, where could people follow your frustrations and advice um, besides on the podcast? Where can people find well, that? Well, I'm on Twitter and I have a Medium and a Substack account, but I haven't posted anything yet. I've, this last month's been crazy, but I'm going to post to them in the next few days, my first post, and then I'm going to try to be on there once a week. And then also my Twitter handle, which is just anarchy.gov, but dot is D-O-T, anarchy.gov. Follow me on Twitter. I'm on there every day, but I don't get a ton of activity. And then I'll have my... Uh, Substack up in a few days and then i'll have be sharing that with people so awesome and if you send if you send the link to it we could probably get get you in the show notes for the my twitter twitter substack yeah when you get substack up, we will um 
we will call that out and put it in show notes as well. Okay. Yeah. Cause that's my goal for 2023 is to try to post there once a week. I think I'm an okay writer. I definitely want to get better, but the main reason I'm stepping up to start doing it is because I just don't feel enough people talking about the things that I feel need talk about. I think that there's more talented writers out there. There's more talented, you know, commentators and stuff like that, but there's just so few of them that are actually talking about the things that I think are important when it comes to crypto and other things. There is going to be a grip crypto bent on my Substack, but it's not just going to be crypto. And so I feel like some, I'm getting frustrated and feel like someone has to say it. I honestly wish I would have done it two years ago before all this is popping, but you know, it's just nobody is talking about the things that I feel are important. And so I guess I'm going to. Good. Well, um, that could be, you know, if we potentially start having more crypto discussions, then that those topics could be something that we, you know, that we bring attention to here as well. Um, and, and could give you an opportunity to, to discuss exactly what you want to discuss in the, in that regard. Yeah, I would like that. I don't mind coming on whenever I can probably usually make time. So if I just have a few days notice, I can usually adjust my schedule. Okay, perfect. Well, I think that we have, um, covered a good amount of information in our time here. So I would like to thank you, Daniel, very much for coming on for the research that you've done ahead of time for answering our questions. Um, I know this is a really broad topic to discuss, so um, I think you've done it well. I appreciate that. Also, I would like to thank the rest of the unknowns for joining us this evening. And um, I did also wanna let you know that you can find us at unionoftheunknowns.com. And that's our website. That's where you can find pretty much all of the ways to contact us from Discord, Twitter, email, phone number, all that good stuff. So um, unless anyone else has anything else that they would like to add, I think that concludes another episode of The Unknowns. Free Ross. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thank you. Y'all have a good night. Hi, everybody. Yes. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Union of the Unknowns. You can find new episodes every week on all your favorite podcasting networks. I was supposed to say hashtag.